Shema Yisrael. Welcome to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries with Aaron Budgen. Aaron discovered Jesus is his Messiah while preparing to be a rabbi. He now teaches for several organizations and is the teaching pastor for Living God Ministries. Strongly distinguishing between the Old and New Covenants, Aaron presents the scriptures from a Judaic and historical frame of reference. Join Aaron now as he reveals the reality foreshadowed and the new life we can now experience because of what the Lord Jesus accomplished for us. Many times I ask people, tell me about the Christian life. Tell me, what does it mean to be a Christian? Tell me about the gospel. Tell me about the new covenant. Tell me what you understand the Christian life is. What does it really mean? How would we know what it looked like if we saw it? I mean, what does it really mean to be a believer in the Lord Jesus? And how would that be reflected in our lives? There are many times when I ask these kinds of questions, and I certainly don't ask these questions out of a desire to be rude or because I'm looking for some specific answer. I ask these questions very sincerely. I really want to know what people believe concerning these things. Because as far as I'm concerned, what a person believes is important. It is very important. What you believe is very important, not just for you, but for those who are around you, for those who you have exposure to, for those who you participate with in your daily life. What you believe is reflected in your life all the time. And so I ask this question out of sincerity, and I ask this question in the sense that I really want to know. I want to know what people think and what people believe. Now, sometimes people have no answer for these kinds of questions, and I think it's important for a person to discover that they have no answer for these questions, if that's the case, so that they can find answers to these questions. Because, again, I do believe that these questions are very important to answer. Sometimes people will quote scriptures to me. They quote passages in the scriptures, and I can appreciate that. I understand what that means and what people are doing. But sometimes people quote passages in the scriptures that they don't know anything about. And they quote them as if by quoting them, they answer the question, and that is the end of the discussion. But to me, that will not be the end of the discussion. That will be the beginning of the discussion, because It's easy to quote something in the scriptures, but it can be much more difficult to understand what was intended, what the meaning is of the scriptures that people are quoting. For example, consider Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. This is a very popular verse for people to quote. Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, where it says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me, and the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. People will quote this, and they will say, you see, it's not really I who live, but it's now Christ who lives in me. And so if he lives in me, then that that becomes the Christian life. It becomes a life of Christ living within and through me. That that's what the new covenant is about. That is what the gospel is about. And of course, they're absolutely right. I really believe that that is a true expression of what it means to be a believer, of what it means to be a Christian. I have no doubt about that at all. But what they mean by that is in question. 
That is the question. What do you mean by that? To say that Christ lives in and through you, what does that mean? What does that mean really? I really believe that this needs to be addressed. This kind of a question needs to be answered. You can't just quote this and say, well, Christ lives in and through me. Well, does he really? I mean, what does that mean for him to live within and through you? What what does that really mean to you? This has to be asked because I have known a number of people who will quote this, who talk about this, who will actually preach on this because they are in positions to do so. And in my opinion, they have no idea what they're talking about. They use this verse as if it is the end of the discussion or the presentation. Whereas in my opinion, this should be the beginning of the discussion or the presentation, not the end. But it is the end for most people, and the reason why it is the end is because they know that something is there, but they don't know what it is. They know that this verse refers to something, something real, Christ living in and through us, that 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 is real. There is some substance to that. No question about that at all. But what that really is, and the revelation of that, is something that, in my opinion, escapes people. It really does. And so the position that I personally take is that there are those who believe that there is something there, there is something about this verse, that there's something to be said about the Christian life and Christ living within and through us, but they can't quite put their finger on it. They know that there is something there, but they just can't quite get to it. It is as if this is a promise that is yet to be fulfilled. A person expects that one day, soon, this will be real to them because they know that it exists, but they never experience it for themselves because there's something that keeps them from entering into this new life of Christ living within and through them. Now, I have had this discussion with more people than I can possibly count. People who know very little about the scriptures and about the gospel, people who know a lot about the scriptures and about the gospel. I have had numerous conversations with people about this. And considering these conversations, in my opinion, what I believe is that people never enter in to what Paul describes here because they don't really embrace the forgiveness of sins that our God has called us to. It's my opinion, it's my sincere belief that this is the barrier that keeps people from experiencing the reality of what is said here, from experiencing what they know is supposed to be real in their life, but isn't. They know it's something, but they can never really experience it or embrace it for themselves. And I believe the reason why is because of the subject of forgiveness. What I mean by that is that there are many people who do not really believe that the sin issue between them and God is over. They don't really believe in the complete forgiveness of sins. For the most part, people believe in forgiveness, but they believe in a partial forgiveness. They believe that God may forgive their sins to the extent where he will allow them to go into heaven. But between now and the day that they physically die, God will continue to hold their sins against them for a number of reasons. So I believe that this is the issue. I believe that this is what prevents an individual from experiencing what is described here 
experiencing Christ living within and through them. And this is why. The reason why is because if you believe that God holds your sins against you in any way at all, then you have to keep yourself alive. It is the only way to accomplish that. You have to stay alive in the sense of staying alive to this world. You have to be alive to this world. You have to find some way to overcome the sin in your life. And because the question or the issue of sin is related to the flesh, then you have to keep your flesh alive. You have to keep your flesh involved, or you have to be involved in your flesh. Either way, you have to find some way to continue to participate in this world, in your flesh, so that you can stop sinning, and this will be reflected in your flesh. This, to me, is the real issue, that a person has to keep themselves alive in order to resolve the unresolvable and that which they have not yet resolved. Because until they do, they are not going to be fully accepted or loved by their God. They are not going to be able to participate in what God obviously wants for them. He's not going to live within and through them until they get themselves cleaned up adequately so that he won't be embarrassed by other people seeing him in your presence. That's what it comes down to. So I believe that this subject of forgiveness has to be addressed because until it is, a person cannot truly die to the world. Now, I did a series of programs on the subject of forgiveness, and so I'm not going to try to duplicate those programs here and today. Instead, I'm just simply going to tell you that these programs have already been recorded. I have already talked about the subject of forgiveness at length. Listen to those programs for free through my radio archive at livinggodministries.net. That is where I talked about the subject of forgiveness. Once you complete that series, and you got to listen to it all the way from start to finish. I know there are a lot of programs there, but there are reasons why there are a lot of programs there, and you got to listen to them all in order because each one builds off of the previous programs. But this is where it's at. You've got to resolve the sin issue. You've got to resolve the issue of forgiveness because it's only then that you can be crucified with Christ. It's only then that you can truly enter into the death that he entered into, that you are to enter into as a result of his death. He died for the sins of the world, and he died for your sins included within the sins of the world. If you are unwilling to embrace that death, that forgiveness... That propitiation, if you are unwilling to enter into that, to embrace that, to take that upon yourself and recognize that what he did was enough and that it is completely finished, if you're not willing to do that, then there is no way that you can die to enter into his death. There is no way to be crucified with him in the way that he wants. The only other alternative you're going to have is to try to continually crucify your flesh, which to most people means that you're going to try to get your flesh under control. You're going to try to kill your flesh by trying to stop sinning. But he killed your flesh by what he accomplished because you will never stop sinning. Your flesh is never going to stop sinning. That's just not going to happen. So he dealt with it in a different way. He dealt with it not by trying to get people repentant and obedient. He did it through his forgiveness.
Now, once a person can embrace that, then I believe they can move on in verse 20, where he says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. Now, this next transition has to do with what does it mean to live? What does that really mean? If you've been crucified with Christ and you no longer live, it is no longer you who live, but it is Christ who lives in you, then what does that mean? How will you know that you are no longer living? How will you know that it is no longer I who live? How will you know that? How do you know that you are or are not living? How do you know if you're living? Or how do you know if you're not living? How can you define that? You must define that, otherwise this is meaningless. This is completely meaningless outside of definition and understanding. Now, this is a very difficult subject to address. And the reason why it's so difficult is because, for the most part, people have no idea what it means to live, let alone what it means not to live. So I have to start out with what does it mean to live? What does that mean? Then I can talk about what does it mean not to live after you understand what it means to live. And then I can explain what does it mean for Christ to live within and through you. And also what does it mean for you to live in him rather than living in the world. But again, for the most part, people have no idea what it means to live in the world. Now, you might find that a little surprising, but think about this for a minute, please. Of the people who you know, and I'm confident you know some people, sit down and think about their lives. What is their life about? What is their life like? And I'm confident that you will be able to select a few people out of this collection of individuals that you think about. There will be a few people who you will say, they they just don't seem to be living at all. I mean, what kind of a life is that? How can you call that living? That's what I mean, is that we are surrounded. We are surrounded by people who don't even know what it means to live, let alone what it would mean not to live that way. They have no way at all anyway. So that's what I need to start with. I need to start with that. I need to talk about the subject of living. Now, the subject of living is a very, very difficult subject to address to religious individuals because, for the most part, from a religious perspective, there are many different opinions because now you've got God involved. So I'm just going to mention this briefly, that there is a difference between religious people living in the world and non-religious people living in the world. There is a difference between the two. So let me just briefly address the religious people. I'll come back to that again later. But... I'm going to start with that because, for the most part, my audience listening to this program are going to be religious people who believe in Jesus. So I'll start with that. Now, for the most part, the people who you encounter, or perhaps you as well, for the most part, people live on the basis of two different philosophies or a combination of the two. For the most part, it's a combination. But let me talk about it from the two extremes first. The first extreme is often described as Armenianism. That's a common philosophy, not as common as the other one. The other one is Calvinism. But it is common. People do live this way. And just to give a crude summary, I'm going to say that these are people who live their lives 
with the expectation that one day they will be judged by God, but between now and then, he's just kind of out there somewhere just watching us try to make it through this life on our own. That's one way of looking at life. The other way of looking at life, from a religious point of view, is often described in what we call a Calvinistic philosophy, and that has to do with God having control over everything to the extent where there is no maverick molecule in the universe. And so your life, the way that you live, is actually living under the total absolute control of God to the extent where you probably aren't living at all. It really is just him living within and through you. You're not really living. That's the other extreme. Whereas you have one to say that you live your life completely and independently of God, acknowledging his existence, and the other life is that you don't live a life independently at all. You're nothing more than the puppet of God. He is the one who has total control over you, and whatever happens to you or whatever you do is something that he will establish claim to. He is completely responsible for all things. There is nothing else besides him. Now, what most people do is they fluctuate between the two extremes. It's very unusual to find somebody who would try to live according to one extreme or the other. I mean, I have encountered some people who have told me things like, I just want you to know that I am a strict Armenianist. And I think, well, that's very interesting. So I tell them, you know, it's very unusual for a person to introduce themselves that way. That's a very unusual way to start a conversation. What happens when you talk with people like this? And then we start talking about the different conversations that they've had in the past and their experiences. And we start talking about their relationship with God. And it doesn't normally take very long before the individual will eventually say something that sounds a little Calvinistic. And so I just wait patiently for the opportunity to tell them that. You know, that sounds a little Calvinistic to me, what you just said. I'm not quite sure how to put that within your Arminianistic framework. And then they confess, yeah, every once in a while I tend to digress a little bit or regress or whatever. They fluctuate between the two. Everyone kind of stays within these two extremes for the most part. And that is their religious life. Now, of course, for myself, I have no part in either one of those. I'm not even on the scale. I have nothing to do with either one of those perspectives. And I have said a lot about this subject in other programs. The relevant passages with regards to predestination in the book of Romans, verse by verse, when I did the verse by verse study on the book of Romans, I did address the subject there. And so if you want to listen to those programs relevant to the chapters and verses where people often talk about this subject, you can hear more about what I think concerning this subject. But for now, I just needed to mention that from a religious point of view, that most people live this way. This is what it means to live to most people. It fits in there. Now, what I have done in a lot of the teachings that I have already produced to include the programs that I just mentioned in Romans, and you can find this in other places as well, what I tend to focus on is the issue that our God is reflecting himself within and through us. And I talk about this in the context of the image of God, but the bottom line is that that way of life has to do with receiving the love of God, receiving the acceptance of God, and living your life engaging the world with what you have received from your God, and in that way you live your life with Him. That's how I normally address these subjects and deal with these issues. But in this program, and also in the next one because I'm almost out of time, I'm going to talk about this from a little bit of a different point of view. 
Not to say that there's anything wrong with that, but if you've been listening to me for a while, and if you haven't, then you need to listen to me more often. But if you've been listening to me for a while, you know that I talk about this all the time, the idea of Christ living within and through us, that the invisible God manifests himself in a visible way within and through us. I have said a lot about that already, and so I'm not going to duplicate that point of view in this program, which probably would be a really good place to do it. But this time I'm going to do it a little bit differently. I'm going to talk about this from a different perspective. Now, in the world, I've already talked about what it means to live in religion. In the world, it's a little bit different because people live without any acknowledgement of God at all. Now, perhaps you know what this is like. Perhaps you got saved later on in life, that you were not born into a Christian home, that you were not always exposed to the subject of God and the Bible. I myself had a period of time in my life when I had no exposure to the scriptures at all. And of course, that had to do with the Old Testament because my background was in Judaism. But there were other times when I was living for years at a time without any real acknowledgement of the existence of God at all. This was before I got saved, which was later in life. And so I know what it means to be lost. I know what it means to be without my God. And I know what it means to live without any acknowledgement of him or his scriptures. And so if if you don't know what that's like, then please try to have some patience with me and just understand that this is what a lot of people deal with. When it comes to living, for the most part, what people do is they define their lives by trying to maximize pleasure and minimizing pain. That's one way to define what it means to live. And so if a person says, it is no longer I who live, if that's what they enter into, what they are going to suggest is that they are not going to devote their lives anymore to trying to maximize their own personal pleasure and minimize their own personal pain, that that is no longer going to be the defining methodology by which they are going to live. To say that it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me, means that a person no longer defines their life in that in that way. But for the most part, this is a big challenge for a lot of people. This is what it means to live. For many people who you are exposed to, who surround you, if you're in a city, You are surrounded by an enormous number of people who devote their lives, whose life is only defined by this simple combination of maximizing pleasure and minimizing pain. Now, some people are a little bit more thoughtful about their life. They're perhaps a little bit more sophisticated. And so they discover that life is not just about trying to maximize your pleasure and minimizing your pain. It's perhaps about other things, that there are other ways of defining what it means to really live. For example, in the series that I produced on the subject of depression, which if you haven't heard it, it's definitely something that I want to encourage you to listen to. It was produced to deal with the subject of depression, but in this series you will find that one of the common themes that I address in that series is the theme of problem-solving. That life can be defined as a series of problems that we are exposed to that we have to find solutions for. 
that life can be defined not just as an exercise of trying to maximize pleasure and minimize pain, but we can also look at it from the point of view of just simply solving the problems that we are confronted with in life. If we define life in that way, if that's how we define living, then to say it is no longer I who live, but it is Christ who lives in me, well, we can say a little bit more about that. We can say it is no longer I who solve the problems of life, but now it is Christ who solves the problems for me, or it is Christ who gives me the wisdom or the understanding that would be necessary for me to solve the problems of life that I will be confronted with in the way that he would solve those problems that he would be confronted with if he was still here. He was here. He lived a life. He was confronted with the problems that we are confronted with, and he got through them just fine. And so we could define life in this way as well. We could say that it has to do with problem-solving, And that to live in Christ now means that we refer to him or we seek after him. We ask him to find ways to help us to overcome the problems that we are confronted with in life. And in some ways, I believe that's the case. I do believe that our God will reveal things to us concerning the way that he sees the world that we are a part of, that he can give us wisdom and knowledge and understanding and through that, We can solve problems in ways that we never would have solved them before. And in that way, because he gave us what we needed in order to live, we could say in that abstract way that it is no longer us who live, but it is him, it is he who lives within and through us. I don't think that that's what Paul was intending to say when he wrote Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, but there is some truth there. I do believe that there definitely is some truth to be found there and that we should be attentive to what our God may reveal to us as we struggle with the problems of life. But I do believe that there is so much more to what it means to say that Christ lives in and through us. And so I will continue with this in the next program. You've been listening to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries. You can hear all of our programs for free through our radio archive at livinggodministries.net. That is, livinggodministries.net. Do help us develop new radio programs and continue broadcasting on this and other radio stations. Send your contributions to Living God Ministries, P.O. Box 383-53, Colorado Springs, Colorado. 80937 or use the donation link on our website livinggodministries.net that is livinggodministries.net that you may